Makes me feel tall anyway. There's a little too hearty laughter in here. <laughs> I like that. Got glasses in here too somewhere. Okay. I want to be as tall as Mike. I've been thinking that I've been subsidizing Mike's clothes and people like him and this Mike for years. Because, you know, you go in, you buy clothes. They're the same price no matter what. And I use about a third of the material. Okay. Well, to start, in fact, to start, if you would join with me in saying the Lord's Prayer. If you would start with that. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. I listened to Jay's message on walking the talk. Sheila and I listened to it this morning. Had not heard it up to that point. I really wanted an opportunity to uh, prepare for this message, this opportunity I get today and next Sunday. and so I wanted to see how the Lord's Spirit integrated these things without any previous knowledge on my part. So Sheila and I were listening to the message, and I appreciated how it's going to be this walk the talk. And I love Jay's graphic ability, his artistic ability. And I'm looking at this picture of a person walking, and there's this sole of a sneaker And I don't know if it's the case, but it looks to me like the guy stepped on some gum. And it's got this sticky stuff coming up. And I thought, I really like this because as we listen to, as I listen to Jay, as I listen to Tim, as I listen to Mike, and hopefully as you listen to me, there are words of life that stick not to our soul, but to our soul, to who we are. And so we have this tremendous opportunity. I have always wanted to be protected, to be nurtured, to be loved by a multiplicity of godly elders. That has been my heart's desire. And I have that opportunity here. We have elders that shepherd us, who care for us, who watch over us. And it's a real delight to me. And Sheila and I are just starting to read this small book by a guy named Seth Godin. And it's called Poke the Box. And some of you may be familiar with Seth. He's a character in his own right. I doubt if he is a believer. Uh, but he's, he's quite an interesting guy. And he talks about the value of having someone in the organization who pokes the box. And this box, this fellowship, this church that God has brought together is so capable, so willing to be poked. And I love that because I need to be in a place where the box gets poked. Um, What is the meaning of life? 
or at least what is the purpose of this mortal life of ours? You know, a question people ask themselves whether they believe in God or not, you know, it comes throughout their life. You know, why am I here? What am I doing here? What's the purpose of life? And for me, it seems somewhat straightforward. It is to learn how to love God first and then each other, the neighbor that God brings near. And Sheila and I often read a portion of Corinthians 13 together in the morning. And I'd like to read it here, just the, just the first part, a preface. If I speak with the eloquence of men and of angels, but have no love, I become no more than blaring brass or crashing cymbal. If I have the gift of foretelling the future and hold in my mind not only all human knowledge, but the very secrets of God... And if I also have that absolute faith which can move mountains but have no love, I amount to nothing at all. If I dispose of all that I possess, yes, even if I give my own body to be burned but have no love, I achieve precisely nothing. Nothing. And so it seems that this necessity of learning how to love is a compelling part of what Father wants us to learn. How to love God and how to love the neighbor God brings near. And so, from my perspective, to walk the talk is about this love. To walk in love requires forgiveness and forgiveness without limit. He is ready to forgive others, Paul wrote, as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. And earlier in 2013, we had this marvelous series where Jay and Tim spoke about forgiveness. There was many different messages, sermons relative to forgiveness. And it stuck in my mind at the time that there are two places in Scripture where Jesus tells us of occasions where God cannot forgive. Seems scary to me. And yet I've found that every word that comes out of Jesus' mouth has a life-giving purpose to it. It is motivated by a love so deep, so incomprehensible, that I just taste parts of it. The first of these two places deals with forgiveness between men and women and men and women, between humans. Does anybody recall, and both of these these verses are in the Gospel of Matthew. Does anybody recall where this first verse is? I'll read it. For if you forgive other people their failures, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you will not forgive other people, neither will your Father forgive you your failures or trespasses. That comes right after what? The Lord's Prayer. What we said together. Immediately after. This is the very next verse. Immediately after is this somber sounding warning. 
And so it becomes a challenge. How do we reconcile this posture of unforgiveness on God's part with a revelation of him and his son, Jesus Christ, who said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, who also said, hanging from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. How does it jive? And to help me this morning, I am going to call upon an old friend of mine. He's dead. I've never met him. He was a Scotsman in the 19th century. And his name is George MacDonald. And so I'm going to become a reader this morning. I will not be a reader next Sunday. I'm going to be a reader this morning. C.S. Lewis wrote of George MacDonald, and I'm quoting, I know hardly any other writer who seems to be closer or more continually close to the Spirit of Christ himself. And then he went on to say at another point in time that he said, I don't think there's anything that I have ever written of which his influence was not a part. And so in this particular matter of forgiveness, and today is going to be focusing on forgiveness between humans, between men and women, each other. So I'm going to call upon George's help and read a message that he had written. And then next Sunday, just as a little hint, I am hoping that we can meet instead of in here, in there. Because we are going to have a need to be able to look at each other's faces. We're going to have a need to be close to each other. A man will say, I forgive, but I cannot forget. Let the fellow never come in my sight again. To what does such a forgiveness reach? To the remission or sending away of the penalties which the wrong believes he can claim from the wrongdoer. But there is no sending away of the wrong itself from between them. Again, a man will say, he has done a very mean action, but he has the worst of it in himself and that he is capable of doing so. I despise him too much to desire revenge. I will take no notice of it. I forgive him. I do not care. Here again, there is no sending away of the wrong from between them. No remission of the sin. A third will say, I suppose I must forgive him, for if I do not forgive him, God will not forgive me. This man is a little nearer the truth, inasmuch as a ground of sympathy only that of common sin is recognized as between the offender and himself. One more will say, He has wronged me grievously. It is a dreadful thing to me, and more dreadful still to him, that he should have done it. He has hurt me, but he has nearly killed himself. He shall have no more injury from it that I can save him. I cannot feel the same towards him yet. But I will try to make him acknowledge the wrong he has done me, and so put it away from him. Then perhaps I shall be able to feel towards him as I used to feel. For this end I will show him all the kindness I can, not forcing it upon him, but seizing every fit opportunity. Not, I hope, from a wish to make myself great through bounty to him, but because I love him so much 
that I want to love him more in reconciling him to his true self. I would destroy this evil deed that has come between us. I send it away. And I would have him destroy it from between us too by abjuring it utterly. Which comes nearest to the divine idea of forgiveness? Nearest, though with the gulf between wherewith the heavens are higher than the earth. For the divine creates the human, has the creative power in excess of the human. It is the divine forgiveness that, originating itself, creates our forgiveness, and therefore can do so much more. It can take up all our wrongs, small and great, with their righteous attendance of griefs and sorrows, and carry them away from between our God and us. Christ is God's forgiveness. Before we approach a little nearer to this great sight, let us consider the human forgiveness in a more definite embodiment. as between a father and a son. For although God is so much more to us and comes so much nearer to us than a father can be or come, yet the fatherhood is the last height of the human stare, whence our understandings can see him afar off, and where our hearts can first know that he is nigh even in them. There are various kinds and degrees of wrongdoing, which need varying kinds and degrees of forgiveness. An outburst of anger in a child, for instance, scarcely wants forgiveness. The wrong in it may be so small that the parent has only to influence the child for self-restraint and the rousing of the will against the wrong. The father will not feel that such a fault has built up any wall between him and his child. But suppose that he discovered in him a habit of sly cruelty towards his younger brothers or the animals of the house. How differently would he feel? Could his forgiveness be the same as in the former case? Would not the different evil require a different form of forgiveness? I mean, would not the forgiveness have to take the form of that kind of punishment fittest for restraining in the hope of finally rooting out the wickedness? Could there be true love in any other kind of forgiveness than this? A passing by of the offense might spring from a poor human kindness, but never from divine love. It would not be remission. Forgiveness can never be indifference. Forgiveness is love towards the unlovely. Let us look a little closer at the way a father might feel and express his feelings. One child, the moment the fault was committed, the father would clasp to his bosom, knowing that very love in its own natural manifestation would destroy the fault in him, and that the next moment he would be weeping. The father's hatred of the sin would burst forth in his pitiful tenderness towards the child, who was so wretched as to have done the sin and so destroy it. The fault of such a child would then cause no interruption of the interchange of sweet affections. The child is forgiven at once. But the treatment of another upon the same principle would be altogether different. If he had been guilty of baseness, meanness, selfishness, deceit, self-gratulation, and the evil brought upon others, the father might say to himself, 
I cannot forgive him. This is beyond forgiveness. He might say so and keep saying so while all the time he was striving to let forgiveness find its way that it might lift him from the gulf into which he had fallen. His love might grow yet greater because of the wandering and loss of his son. For love is divine and then most divine when it loves according to needs and not according to merits. When loves, when it loves according to needs and not according to merits. But the forgiveness would be but in the process of making, as it were, or of drawing nigh to the sinner, not till his opening heart received the divine flood of destroying affection, and his own affection burst forth to meet it and sweep the evil away, could it be said to be finished, to have arrived, could the son be said to be forgiven. God is forgiving us every day, sending from between him and us our sins and their fogs and darkness. Witness the shining of his sun and the falling of his rain, the filling of their hearts with food and gladness, that he loves them that love him not. When some sin that we have committed has clouded all our horizon and hidden him from our eyes, he forgiving us ere we are and that we may be forgiven sweeps away a path for this is forgiveness to reach our hearts, that it may by causing our repentance destroy the wrong and make us able even to forgive ourselves. For some are too proud to forgive themselves till the forgiveness of God has had its way with them. But looking upon forgiveness then as the perfecting of a work ever going on as the contact of God's heart and ours, in spite and in destruction of the intervening wrong, we may say that God's love is ever in front of his forgiveness. God's love is the prime mover, ever seeking to perfect his forgiveness, which latter needs the human condition for its consummation. The love is perfect, working out the forgiveness. God loves where he cannot yet forgive where forgiveness in the full sense is as yet simply impossible, because no contact of hearts is possible, because that which lies between has not yet begun to yield to his holy destruction. Some things, then, between the father and his children, as between the father and his child, may comparatively and in a sense be made light of. I do not mean made light of in themselves. Away they must go inasmuch as evils or sins though they be. They yet leave room for the dwelling of God's Spirit in the heart, forgiving and cleansing away the evil. When a man's evil is thus fading out of him, and he is growing better and better, that is the forgiveness coming into him more and more. Perfect in God's will, it is having its perfect work in the mind of the man. When the man has, with his whole nature, cast away his sin, there is no room for forgiveness any more. For God dwells in him and he in God. With the voice of Nathan, you are the man. The forgiveness of God laid hold of David. The heart of the king was humbled to the dust. And when he thus awoke from his moral lethargy that had fallen upon him, he found that he was still with God. When I awake, he said, I am still with thee. But there are two sins, not of individual deed, but of spiritual condition. 
which cannot be forgiven. That is, as it seems to me, which cannot be excused, passed by, made little of, by the tenderness even of God. Inasmuch as they will allow no forgiveness to come into the soul, they will permit no good influence to go on working alongside of them. They shut God out altogether. Therefore, the man guilty of these can never receive into himself the holy, renewing, saving influence of God's forgiveness. God is outside of him in every sense, save that which springs from his creating relationship to him, by which, thanks be to God, he yet keeps a hold of him, although against the will of the man who will not be forgiven. The one of these sins is against man, the other against God. The former is unforgivingness to our neighbor, the shutting of him out of our mercies from our love, so from the universe, as far as we are a portion of it, the murdering, therefore, of our neighbor. It may be an infinitely less evil to murder a man than to refuse to forgive him. The former may be the act of a moment of passion. The latter is the heart's choice. It is spiritual murder. The worst, to hate, to brood over the feeling that excludes, that kills the image, the idea of the hated. We listen to the voice of our own hurt pride or hurt affection to the injury of the evildoer. And as far as we can, we quench the relations of life between us. We close up the passages of possible return. This is to shut out God, the life, the one. For how are we to receive the forgiving presence while we shut out our brother from our portion of the universal forgiveness, the final restoration, thus refusing to let God be all in all? If God appeared to us, how could he say, I forgive you, while we remained unforgiving to our neighbor? Suppose it possible that he should say so. His forgiveness would be no good to us. While we were uncured of our unforgivingness, it would not touch us. Nay, it would hurt us, for we should think ourselves safe and well while the horror of disease was eating the heart out of us. Tenfold the forgiveness lies in the words, If you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Those words... Our kindness, indeed. God holds the unforgiving man with his hand, but turns his face away from him. If in his desire to see the face of his father, he turns his own towards his brother, then the face of God turns round and seeks his. For then the man may look upon God and not die. With our forgiveness to our neighbor... Inflows the consciousness of God's forgiveness to us. Or even with the effort, we become capable of believing that God can forgive us. If God said, I forgive you, to a man who hated his brother, and if, as is impossible, that voice of forgiveness should reach the man, what would it mean to him? How would the man interpret it? Would it not mean to him, you may go on hating I do not mind it. You have had great provocation and are justified in your hate. 
No doubt God takes what wrong there is and what provocation there is into the account. But the more provocation, the more excuse that can be urged for the hate. The more reason, if possible, that the hater should be delivered from the hell of his hate. That God's child should be made the loving child that he meant him to be. The man would think not that God loved the sinner, but that he forgave the sin which God never does. Every sin meets with its due fate, inexorable expulsion from the paradise of God's humanity. He loves the sinner so much that he cannot forgive him in any other way than by banishing from his bosom the demon that possesses him, by lifting him out of that mire of his iniquity. No one, however, supposes for a moment that a man who has once refused to forgive his brother shall therefore be condemned to endless unforgiveness and unforgivingness. What is meant is that while a man continues in such a mood, God cannot be with him as his friend. Not that he will not be his friend, but the friendship being all on one side, that of God, must take forms such as the man will not be able to recognize it as friendship. Forgiveness, as I have said, is not love merely, but love conveyed as love to the erring, so establishing peace towards God and forgiveness towards our neighbor. It was helpful to me, and has remained helpful to me, as I thought about this message, the the, the title of it that I gave Jay was Blessed Unforgiveness When Love Can't Forgive. To grab hold of the Gospels, to, to grab with wonder the fact that Jesus shows us the Father. To recognize that even in the hardest sayings that Jesus says, if I don't forgive someone their faults, neither will he forgive me my faults. To understand that that comes from a heart of love. That comes from something that wants my goodness. Because the goodness, the good of things for you and I, is that no contradiction with the glory of God. And so this aspect of forgiveness is so important to our ability to walk the talk, to understand, to grow into love. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the help that I have received in my own personal life from various people whose words have so helped me to see a little bit more clearly through the fog, through the darkness, through the dimness that we all must peer through. I pray that as we come into the coming week, that your word will work in us to will and to do of your good pleasure for the glory of your name. Amen. Keep your eye on our Bridge Builders page. I think we all have kind of access to that. And I love how we have opportunities to expand and broaden the conversation. And there will be some, some prompts there that I will put during this week that will lead into next week. Uh, and so I, I will be praying for the dialogue between us. For us to have an opportunity to to share and to dialogue between us. To the glory of God.